This is the weekend edition of The Court Report. Stock picking is never an easy task. But picking stocks when the value or the definition of value keeps changing, and particularly when you have newer companies or newer businesses coming in, analysts could view things differently. Analysts could view profits differently. Analysts could take longer calls on how long a company can make losses before they actually start making money and so on. So to understand where we stand today at this point of time in analyzing companies, in picking stocks, and whether the old principles still apply, I decided to find out by speaking to Bharat Shah, Executive Director of ASK Investment Managers. Bharat Shah is a veteran fund manager and market man, if you want to call it that, in Mumbai. He's worked with many mutual funds and asset management companies and has also been an astute stock picker. Parisha has been on the board of ASK since 2008. He has over 24 years of experience in the field of investment management and has worked in Birla Capital and Asian Paints. Hello and welcome. I'm pleased to be joined by Bharat Shah, director at the Ask Group right here in Mumbai. Bharat, thank you very much for joining me. So I'm going to talk about and ask you questions on two or three points. So first, in a very large sense, is about separating the signal from the noise. And when I say signals from the noise, I'm talking about the supply that we are now seeing build up on the IPO side in the public markets. The figure that I have, for example, is that we're going to see about 71 companies launch IPOs worth about 90,000 crores in just the second half of this year. That's the plan. It may not happen like that. We're also seeing a lot of action in the SME space. About 100 companies have raised uh, 2,600 crores in uh, this year alone, and that will be high maybe in the second half as well. Now, this brings to four, two or three questions. One is that as the supply builds up, how do you begin to or double down on identifying the best companies or the right companies, the promoters, the balance sheets, the governance and all of that? Secondly, the last couple of years, we've seen some interesting shifts perhaps and shifts keep happening in the markets. So one shift that I want to focus on is to do with the tech companies that we've seen who've IPO'd, mostly between July and November last year. So of the four or five major companies that IPO'd at that time, when I look at where they are today, almost all of them are down. So if I look at PTM, Nika, Zomato, Delivery, PB Fintech, these were all grand IPOs. Uh, these are all tech companies. They were all heavily uh, venture capital and private equity funded. And they're all down at varying levels. They all saw their peaks when they listed and since then they've been down for various reasons. The reason I'm only trying to link these companies to today is that they're part of the noise or they could be the signal depending on how you look at it. So let me start there. How are you seeing this IPO rush today, if I want to call it the rush? And how are you able to step back and start looking at more fundamentals like always? So let me answer in uh, three, four parts. It's natural when the markets seem to be on an up move the capital raise programs are going to accelerate. That's directly correlated to markets doing well and generally seem to be doing well. So nothing surprising there. Like always, you need to balance the supply of more demand for capital will affect overall behavior of the market or not. And the answer to that lies in Again, micro analysis of each business while paying attention to the fact that if there is too much supply of capital which is sought to be there to that extent, it may affect the market behavior in the short run. 
But from a fundamental point, I don't think that's such a critical issue. Subject to the quality of the new programs or the new companies that is coming. Second, I would say the more companies coming to IPO or raising capital is also the sign of the fact that the country is expected to grow at a material pace for a long period of time. That growth needs to be harnessed by the businesses which are part of the ecosystem. And therefore, it is natural for them to raise capital to be able to accelerate their own growth. Third, I think we should look at more than just the amount of new capital to be raised. What is the quality of the businesses and quality of firms that is coming to the markets? In a general way, I would say overall quality of the capital raise programs and the quality of firms compared to the past is materially improved in general, both in terms of the solidity of the businesses, in terms of level of governance, in terms of durable long-term strength of those businesses. So I would say at one point of time, the kind and quality of the firms that used to come to the market and were able to raise money or were looking at raising money. And today, there is a significant change. And that change is the quality of the businesses that is coming to the markets today. For I think it's an indirect affirmation that the entrepreneurial spirit of the country is healthy, alive and kicking. Because most of the firms that are coming to the markets are basically entrepreneurial firms. And India's most defining features of the rise and growth has been capability of entrepreneurs to take the economic progress ahead. Therefore, many more of them are looking at raising capital. Is also an affirmation of the fact that entrepreneurial spirit is alive and kicking. Fifthly, some of the firms that are coming to the market are in relatively more distinguished areas, not the standard kind of sectors or areas in which those businesses that we know of. Many of the businesses are in fresh new opportunities. Some of them are very virgin kind of opportunities. And many others are more innovative new applications in the areas, in the existing sectors. Therefore, entrepreneurial spirit, innovation, quotient, novelty of the new businesses, relatively superior quality of the new capital raise programs and those firms, these are some of the aspects that I think we have to take into account. Many of these are, in my opinion, good news. But in general, Ultimately, price is a function of right classic economics, demand and supply at a point of time. But over a period of time, supply and demand both change. And therefore, in a short run, supply and demand for capital where it settles and where it needs to settle may be different. And therefore, our past experience has been that new capital typically has been not viewed very favorably for the simple reason that the general experience in the aftermath of those raising programs has not been very pleasant to art. Also, the quality of those programs has been, for legitimate reasons, not so healthy. Many of these things have changed. 
So when you say quality, you mean uh, it's uh, founders getting out at a much larger, higher level than you would expect? or No, I'm saying the quality of the businesses that are coming to the market, the quality of the firms which are coming to the market, even the quality of the entrepreneurs, the governance, the standards is definitely of a distinguished variety compared to the past. Therefore, our past experience of what happens when large capital programs are around and in a short run, the puncturing effect on the markets and over a period of time, very poor capital raise programs resulting in vaporization of capital leads to a lot of investor dissatisfaction. From those standpoints, picture today is somewhat different and in positive direction. Right. And one thing that's changed in a way is that many of these companies, including the examples I took, because these were large, are all loss-making. And there is some question about what the definition of profit is. And you yourself have been on record to say that, you know, there is only one definition of profit linked to cash flow. But are investors now perhaps in a mood to say that, okay, this is the new era where in the public markets, uh, we're not talking about private markets, in the public markets, I'm willing to now accept a certain degree of loss and burn. And despite that, I feel that there is value in this because of so many other reasons. Or do you feel like that? I don't think fundamental investing principles or valuation thoughts have changed. Markets in the core character remain the same. Ultimately, businesses have a value not because some large number of people or large amount of capital at a point of time think so. That may happen when large capital or large money chases something at a point of time. But these are ephemeral and temporary outcomes. Ultimately, long-term value in a business will come only if the business creates a real economic value. Real economic value, there is no confusion where it comes from. It comes from when the business earns superior return on capital employed compared to what it costs those businesses to use that capital pool. Therefore, superiority of economic returns or economic efficiency or return on capital employed over the cost of capital is a very important benchmark of um, whether value is being created, neutered, or obliterated. At a point of time, there may be legitimate reason that the business may not fully meet with the cost of capital, return on capital employed falls short of that cost of capital. Well, if a business structurally is going to remain stymied and will have to live with negative outcome on a year-after-year basis, there is no benediction from above whereby the value of the business has to rise. It cannot and will not. So whether the businesses do need to make profits without any doubt, whether they do need to make it in a reasonably foreseeable manner, again, without any doubt. Whether these profits are accidental or emanating from a business model, obviously they have to come from the business model. It can't be an accidental chance as an outcome. Whether they have to appear as profits in the reasonably foreseeable future rather than very distant, unseeable horizon, again, nothing has gone away from that. And if the business makes no profits or losses today, clearly in order for it to have a value today, the expectation has to be and has to be fulfilled 
that it will make profit soon and it will be large enough and it will cover for the period during which those profits have not been there or losses have been there so that the overall value assigned today mathematically and otherwise uh, kind of synergizes. So nothing of that uh, goes away and clearly profits are not accounting profits only. Real profits are the cash flows and the real cash generated in the business. There can be legitimate reasons why a good business or a sound business, there can be temporary mismatch on this equation. But if that mismatch is on a forever basis, or there is no easy way to resolve that dilemma, and therefore it becomes kind of a gambling opinion, or if that equation is not large enough in favor tomorrow if it is unfavorable today, or that doesn't happen soon enough so that all the value diminution is taken care of, then eventually the reality will catch in. So nothing goes away from that. Businesses have to create economic value for them to have market returns. There is a perfect correlation between the two. Long-term value of a business and long-term returns generated from that investment are perfectly correlated. It doesn't always have to be now and in the near term necessarily. But belief of it to be there and logical reasons why it has got to be there and it has to be adequate enough and tangible enough in the reasonably foreseeable, tangible period, nothing on that goes away. And therefore, judged, forecasted future, however well-formed or foggy it may be, ultimately that judged future has to be discounted to the today. And that discount can occur only if there is a positive number in the future. If there is a series of negative numbers in the future, there can't be positive number today uh, beyond the realms of that equation. I'm going to work backwards on that as to what makes a company that you can trust in future. But before I come to that, when you talk about near future, what's the time frame you're looking at? Or it's that comes to mind, that's one. Second is, have you looked at a company or a business recently, which you may name or not name, and if you can tell us why it failed some of these principles that you just talked about? Many of the names that you mentioned, we have met all of them and have met them many times. We are in the process of forming our opinion on them because we have met them several times, but we have not been able to form full enough opinion on uh, these businesses. The reliabilities for that continues to be the same. That whether the business model is something that you can relate to and can comprehend, and can believe logically as a reason to exist and prevail. Secondly, it is to be at a scale. If the business model is not at a scale and will satisfy only very specialized set of conditions and for in a limited arena, then it may not be very valuable. Therefore, it is not only the economic success, but also at a scale that economic success over a period of time that you have to believe. Scale does not seem to be an issue for some of these companies, right? Because they're all talking and perhaps uh, working in very large market spaces. Uh, but I'm saying both have to be. It is not just one of them. You need economic success. You need scale as well for the two together to produce a healthy outcome overall. Thirdly, as I mentioned, ultimately business model solidity 
your conviction about uh, the business model gives you some way to predict however hazy you may call it or however it may be subject to many doubts and skepticism logical always in any forecasting exercise but a business model gives you a sense of predictability a sense of destiny under control and therefore that allows you to make some judgments about the future and typical areas of judgment that you always want to make is the size of opportunity not just size but the size of opportunity whether the particular business and the management is got what it takes to seize that opportunity and convert into an outcome therefore whether there'll be growth an adequate growth because without growth nothing creates value in the system even in nature nothing remains where it is if things don't move they eventually regress and therefore businesses have to grow there is no getting away from that next question is whether the growth is a corrosive growth or a value creating growth and if it is value creating growth whether it will be large value creating growth or a limited value creating growth and therefore corrosive growth is always a problem and uh, many times behaviorally people get carried away by growth for its own sake but the quality of growth perhaps is not just as important as the rate of growth but uh, probably even more important than the rate of growth but you need both in order for forming an opinion about value when you combine all of these the character of the business the size of opportunity the opinion of the growth character of the management uh, not just competence but governance not just foresight but execution not just good capital distribution but good capital allocation fire in the belly adaptability resilience ability to work through the challenges many of these aspects you need to form an opinion about the management all of these then will give to some view about the growth and its duration and the rate its sustainability also a view on the quality of growth so that the two together will cement your some view on the value today and that value compared with the price will give you a glimpse into margin of safety essentially you are staring at three sets of returns as an investor the future growth rate that you contemplate or judge is one annuity that you hope to get out of investments the second annuity that you hope to get is the quality of the growth other things being equal superior quality growth rate will produce more than just the rate of growth is written growth rate is more mathematical it is the quality of growth rate and its equation on the value which often becomes a bit more challenge for people because rate of growth and its impact on the rate of return is relatively more straightforward and more logically mathematically correlated but the quality of growth has a deep bearing on the value and it is again an annuity kind of thing if the good quality growth is there it will add to the rate of growth as one annuity outcome if it is good enough but not extra then only rate of growth will be the return if it is uh, inferior growth then it will be a deduction from the rate of growth and a punishment even if it is corrosive growth it may be so large negative that overall outcome may turn into negative and therefore the two together 
एंड फाइनली द मार्जिन ऑफ सेफ्टी दैल्यू टूडे कम्पेयर टू प्राइस टूडे योर जजमेंट ऑफ द वैल्यू एंड दैट मार्जिन ऑफ सेफ्टी इट इज फेवरेबल वन टाइम एडिशनल Right. So, when you talk about corrosive or inferior growth, are you referring to basically uh, spending more than you're earning to acquire a certain set of customers or sell to them? Essentially, capital efficiency. Ultimately, you use a certain amount of capital, either your own equity capital or borrowed capital, to produce an outcome. Clearly, if a business is to create value, it must get more out of the capital used than what it spends to use that capital or to get a right to use that capital. Borrowed capital cost is more explicit and clear because it is very defined contextually. But the cost of equity capital is much higher and less easily understood, but a very real cost. And therefore, the two together will define your cost of capital. And clearly, business must generate not just equal to the cost of capital, but more. And how much more will have a bearing on how much is the delta of that economic value added? and therefore the size of value created, the growth of the business will expand that value. Therefore, the excess of economic returns or economic efficiency over the cost of capital will create the value pie. And the growth of that opportunity will expand that pie. And you need both. You need quality of growth to protect your investment, and you need growth in order that that value expands over a period of time. Right. And I'm, I'm going to come and contrast this now with the present uh, markets because finally you're choosing in a large pool of existing stocks, uh, incoming stocks, uh, recently listed stocks and so on. But one of the points that you've also talked about in the past is how much stake do founders have? So many of the new gen companies, because of recent legacy reasons, they've diluted and diluted quite sharply. I mean, can it be a good thing also because you're saying, okay, it's professionally run quote unquote from day one as opposed to let's say having a family and uh, you know transmission of ownership and so on. No, without any doubt. I mean, skin in the game is a very vital idea. And uh, skin in the game allows firms to reach heights because it aligns the interest. It gives the passion, or at least possibly can give passion, provided the passion is there within. But skin in the game, along with the passion for creating something substantial, are the very important ingredients for value creation process. And therefore, that's a legitimate question to be raised in many cases, some of the new ones or the old ones. If there is not enough skin in the game, you never know whether the policies and the thought processes from a long-term value creation journey or from an immediate, gratuitous, self-gratifying kind of an outcome. And you can't rule out that possibility, right? When the skin in the game is limited or low, there is a possibility that policies are pursued for short-term diesel rather than long-term solidity. And there are enough examples where supposed founders or supposed business builders, one kind of you just learn that they are no longer in the business and they are into something else. And therefore, Temporary parking place or a short-term retainer is not the best recipe for building great value in a business. So you use terms like fire in the belly and passion quite a few times. Are you saying that because you're not seeing enough of it? Or are you feeling that... Uh, no, no, I didn't say that, uh, that there is not enough fire in the belly. I'm saying... So actually my question is, like, so if there is a lot of that, what else is it that you're really worried about 
when you look at companies, particularly in the current crop? No, I think I mentioned that uh, we need a... So you said quality of growth. So we've touched quality of growth. We've talked about skin in the game. We've talked about fire in the belly and passion, which I'm assuming is somewhat of a constant, which you're also saying is, let's say, we are seeing in abundance today. No, I'm saying, uh, apart from many of these things that I mentioned in you reiterated, business model is something which is vital. Businesses need to have a well-arguable, well-articulated business model, which not only they can see, but others also can hopefully understand and participate in. But you're saying that because you feel that there are times when you are not able to understand, so they may be able to articulate very well. Yes, there are many times my own inadequacies will prevent me to understand uh, well what is being done because there is only so much you know. It's not as if you know everything that is going on and we all have to accept that limitation on ourselves that we may or may not be able to understand many things around. So clearly some of it could be due to my own in inadequacies and my inability to understand what actually is the business model and how it is supposed to work. But there have been other occasions where reasonably legitimately I can say that one is not able to see enough strength of the business model. And again, when I'm talking of a business model, it is not for a short period. It is not for a, a limited arena. It has to be at a scale and it has to prevail over a period of time. And it can't be a creature of special set of circumstances only. We have to take into account many vagaries and many challenges that may come into play. And yet it has to work its way through and has to provide a glimpse you know, of the light at the end of it. And therefore, this becomes a serious issue because business model is not merely a nice thing to say. It's a compass of the business. It is a guiding light of the business because it gives you visibility of what is likely to come even though short-term may be hazy or difficult or very challenging. And therefore, business owners to be able to articulate their business model and the suppliers of capital whose job it is to understand the business models, both have to be able to arrive at some consensus on that in order for an outcome to come by. Because that in turn, along with the fire in the belly and management quality uh, and the character of the business and the size of opportunity will give you a glimpse of the growth and the quality of growth and therefore its value and therefore your ability to work on the margin of safety with discipline. And most importantly, it gives you staying power because it is the business model and its longevity and likely to prevail over a period of time that gives you uh, staying power in a business during challenging times. In absence of that, you play to the dance of the market in terms of the prices. And therefore, you are very vulnerable when that dance uh, happens, either on an upside or on a downside. Therefore, it is these issues. And skin in the game, uh, incidentally, also is a very important issue. Because the footloose behavior in many cases is simply because there is not enough skin in the game. Not in just the physical sense, of owning a fair bit of capital of the business that you have a right to manage, but also mental belief that you are there in the long run to build the game, to build the value and to run through it and not merely in the sunshine phase only. Uh, so many of these issues. One more thing I'll say, 
many of the track records are not tested. And therefore, ability also is something uh, that reveals itself over a period of time. There is no magic bullet to figure out in one go whether you see that capability or otherwise. And therefore, it takes time. It takes time before you really understand the strength, character, motivation, capability of the people who are running the business, apart from skin in the game. Therefore, all of those judgments do take some time. It requires a few meetings. It requires many meaningful dialogues before you're able to make a more solid judgment. There is no shortcut to all of this. And in some of the cases, this is not to say that some of these new businesses uh, will suffer, as you said, in terms of their pricing. Whether the pricing was right or wrong is probably not as much a subject matter of discussion, I would say. But whether uh, really businesses will be in a position to create value, even if many may fail, some of them will fail spectacularly probably. But I definitely believe uh, some will succeed and some of them will succeed very well. When you want to create an ecosystem of entrepreneurship, innovation, new business models, some of those work-in-progress attempts would happen. There may be failure in some of them. There may be success. Sure. So let me come to the present now. So the markets are at a bit of a pause right now and maybe globally in, the, in India and so on. So without getting into too much of that. So as investors now look at uh, opportunities, so there are IPOs which are coming in. To go back to the first point that I made, there are, let's say, beaten down IPOs of last year in the tech space. I mean, being that one category where there's a lot of noise. And then there are some maybe occasional new opportunities. So let's say a company like GeoFinancial could be a new opportunity, which is very interesting because there is no business right now. There is a track record. There is, let's say, perception of management competence and the faith that they will deliver in this area too. So how does an investor look at this particular period where things are, like I said, paused and you have all these options. And if you had a limited amount of capital, how would you select and pick? It has never been different, Govind, in the past either. Ultimately, your capital always will be limited compared to the set of opportunities, especially in a rising economy, in a growing economy, where you believe the growth rate is not going to be merely temporary affair. It is likely to happen over a long period of time. The durability of growth is a greater power than just the strength of the growth. Many times, we don't fully take that into account. Reasonable growth, but prevailing over a long period of time, produces extraordinary outcomes, compounding power. Equally, we do not always fully pay attention to, but apart from the growth rate, the quality of growth rate is a very, very deep imprint on the final outcome in terms of the returns being created. Therefore, while rate of growth is important, it's durability, predictability, solidity, compounding character, and the quality of growth rate, the essential character to create value, all are vital ideas. Capital always will be limited in an economy which is going to grow, where entrepreneurship is flowering, where new opportunities will come by, and there is a favorable circumstances and ecosystem is getting built where there is a scope for trying out many new businesses which otherwise may have looked difficult in the past. But the rules of the game remain the same. Ultimately, returns are important. Controlling risk is, is important. Returns is a tangible number. Risk is not. 
and therefore often disregarded, but it is equally vital because the real returns over a period of time is what is left after deducting risk from the returns that you see. And risk may or may not happen or invade the system at a point of time when you are measuring the results. It may just happen the next day after you measure the results, you know. And therefore, the task remains the same. You have to optimize on the data. You have to ensure that you have a meaningful handle over the risk, both at an individual stock level, as well as at a portfolio level, so that there is a robustness of a process, of a discipline. And you are mentally carrying yourself for a long-term compounding journey rather than series of short-term gratifications, is if you can jump from one thing to the next to the third, is it may be convenient as for the dance of the market or what may be popular in the market at a particular point of time. That may be desired, may be profitable if it can be made to work that way, that you can make series of dancing steps in a very adroit way and success in each of them. But usually that is not something that will work because markets have their own quirks and temperament and moods. Our ability to judge what will occupy attention of the markets at a point of time, it basically is likely to be very poor. And therefore trying to match the markets is a perfect way markets will extract the price from you. So the task is the same. You judge both at a micro-individual name as well as you control your risk and optimize your return at a portfolio level. And again, the effort is similar, whether the business has got what it takes to create a value and whether that value creation can be adequately large enough, whether the management can be trusted and relied upon to do what you expect them to do, whether the size of opportunity is large enough to produce a meaningfully large outcome, or it may be a very maverick niche thing where it may be nice, but it overall it can't move the needle in the aggregate money level. And finally, that rate of growth and the quality of growth both have to be in the place in order to create value. You have to have mechanism, method, science and art both of judging that value. Because if it were to be a perfect number, then it wouldn't have called for a debate. Therefore, it is a good deal of art. Equally, it is not as if it is a very intangible, beauty lies in the eyes kind of a thing. There is a fair bit of mathematics and science behind it. So it's a very beautiful amalgamation of the two. The growth rate in other parts and its mathematical correlation is more obvious. But impact of the quality of growth rate on the valuation and sustainability and how much more it can deliver is often less appreciated or less calculated. But it is that which is a really very vital part of the investing. And to package all of that with a discipline time after time after time, while remaining long term, at the same time agile, while having confidence in what you have and what you believe in, at the same time enough skepticism to understand that you can be wrong. So therefore you have trust, but you have doubt. You have faith, but you have skepticism. You have belief, but you have enough diffidence about it. And therefore, that keeps you all the time in a right questioning mode, your own self-critical understanding. In all these principles that you've spoken of, as you apply them, what are you looking at today that's interesting to you? It could be either a sector or a company or a group. 
companies I won't really talk about because in a public space, I'll prefer to not talk about businesses, individual names, but many things will grow. I think more than always greatest prediction, what may be most appropriate mental framework to have is whatever happens, whether you have ability to adapt to it and benefit from it. Because often when we make intellectually very energizing predictions, we sometimes overbelieve ourselves and we tend to get carried away by those judgments ourselves. And therefore, our own formulated opinion of that forecast becomes our guiding star as to what is going to happen rather than actual reality which may be unfolding. Therefore, we have to be mindful of the risks of making forecasts however intelligent and however beautifully articulated they may look like. Greater chance of success is our ability to observe patiently and carefully what is happening and our ability to benefit from it by intelligent adaptation to it in reasonable time rather than making the grandest and the most intelligent sounding forecasts. Not that one can be away from it because ultimately… Are you referring to forecasts about 2047 and 2075 and so on? No, I'm, I'm saying investing horizons uh, encompass longer periods, but investing horizons have to encompass shorter term reality as well. I'm saying generalized trend when we make a forecast. So let's say uh, AI will change the world and AI will be the most defining new revolution. Maybe, maybe not. Do I know enough about it? I don't. Will I just make all my predictions based on artificial intelligence overtaking humanity and fundamentally altering all the earth and the wealth creation norms? Maybe, maybe not. So I'm seeing those kind of predictions we often get carried away by. With generality of predictions overrides the intelligent specificity of a particular situation and investing is all about that specificity. Overall context may exist, the background may be of that long-term view that you may have, but it must match and be aligned with the micro-specificity of that individual thing. That is where disconnect happens. Mentally, once you have formulated a view, then you start believing it and you stop paying adequate attention to micro-reality may be unfolding. And therefore, the general view may override sensibility of a micro-specificity and you may, may end up making big mistakes. I mean, it could be sector. The generally, this sector will now do very well. Maybe it will. Maybe you want to have some view about that. But ultimately, more than grand predictions, ability to observe what is happening inability to adapt to what is happening at margin in terms of a change, in my opinion, is a greater chance of sustained success. Therefore, many things will do well if the economy grows at a good rate, in a durable way, in a predictable way for a long period of time, and in a qualitatively sound way. Many of these are judgments, again, so again of that same long-term variety that I am uh, kind of putting question marks on. But that macro view is that, that enough circumstances, enough situations now today 
happen to synergize where there is a reason to believe that a country will grow at a material pace for a long period of time and that predictability gives a greater value. Solidity of that prediction gives a greater value. Durability gives a greater value. And the quality of that growth rate, if it is sound, also gives a greater value. Those are opinions you are forming. But those opinions, you constantly will keep checking time to time along with the actual unfolding micro-reality at a business level. But many things will do well, in my opinion. I mean, whether you talk of lenders, the condition in the overall lending have never been more favorable. Quality of the asset book, decline in the real cost of capital, good balance sheets of the borrowers, uh, digitization, and cleanup that has happened in the entire lending culture and the demand for capital in a growth economy. All these factors lend a lot of strength to the lending businesses to do durably well at a material scale over a long period of time. Insurance is another opportunity. In manufacturing, a lot of opportunities will come by. It may be popular to characterize it as a China plus one, but it is not limited to that. Manufacturing takes time. You think today something, and it will become reality only over a period of many years. But path has opened up, and therefore I think chances are very bright that outcomes are going to be gratifying over a period of time in hands of determined caliber, uh, high caliber entrepreneurs and the business owners. The capital expenditure related, government has worked its bit a strong way so far by kickstarting the capex cycle. I think we are roughly at a stage where private capital expenditure program is about to kick in because there has been in some areas where excess capacity is still available, but in some of the areas, capacity utilizations are nearing completion. And therefore, we are seeing capital expenditure programs. I think consumption of various variety and consumption again today is very different from consumption in the past. Past was more the existential, more staple bread and butter variety of consumption. Today, it is more variegated, can be luxury, can be discretionary, can be very premiumized. And all of those are opportunities, including the staples and all of that. One particular area in chemicals where India has a lot of strength, I think enough reasons for good quality players to do well, not just seizing opportunity being loosened up by our key competitor. But I think independently, many of these businesses have a great chance to do well. The great digitization that has occurred in the country both in the public space as well as in the businesses and in businesses not just large but even medium and small that pervasive digitization, pervasive usage of technology in an intelligent way I think makes businesses very productive and therefore many of these enabling architectures so in intelligent usage of that will create very powerful business opportunities Auto, automobile related, many of those opportunities, even technology led like artificial intelligence, what we are talking, who knows, I mean, many and dramatically new opportunities may spring up and we'll have to observe and find out uh, what can work. Even out of some of the businesses that you initially begin with saying, many of them have seemed to not done too well in the marketplace. 
while price-wise, some of those businesses may not have done well, and I today don't own any one of them, but I won't ignore any of them. I would still continue to remain engaged. I will continue to remain watchful. And if good business models will emerge, which give that solidity, I think that opportunity will be there. And we'll have to wait and see and evaluate. Plenty of things in a rising economy, rising uh, capability, when your self-confidence and belief stand high, many new things will happen which you may not have imagined and may, which you may not have been able to fully forecast. But they will emerge. And I think good part will be to be aware of it. I mean, look at EMA space, electronic manufacturing space, which is the relatively newly opened up. It is not as if businesses have just come about today. Some of the businesses have been there for a couple of decades and even more, you know. But there is a time when opportunity, preparedness, confidence all they ignite together into a very powerful combination. So many opportunities of this kind, health, healthcare, supportive systems around that, many of these opportunities. Plenty will come. My key point will be, while we can all make our judgments on these, it is important to remember that investing is not market index predicting. Investing is not riding on themes. Investing is not riding on generalities. Investing is not on macroeconomic factors. It is not geopolitical punditry. Investing remains simple. You want to be enthusiastic about a business, which is a case to create value, where the character of business is sound. It's run by people of character and capability that it sits at a large size of opportunity and it's not a small pond, it's a large pond where even small, made, big fish all can thrive and grow much bigger. And that it will actually produce a growth which is essential. Equity and businesses and value creation cannot exist without reasonable, long-term, durable, forecastable growth rate. Coupled with quality of growth, our ability to judge value, discipline to bite at some margin of safety, and the wisdom to remain faithful about that equation while remaining adequately doubtful about whatever you yourselves are doing, I think is the way investing produces gratifying, risk-optimized, return-optimal outcomes. And that remains the watchword. Therefore, even all the many forecasts, if at all I make, uh, you should discount it and throw it away. They merely are set of beliefs today and they have to stand the test of actual reality time to time. Right. Uh, Bharat, uh, you know, I, we started by saying that, you know, let's look at stocks and let's look at the bottom and you've brought it back by taking us through a whole journey of, uh, you know, the future economic growth potential and back to stocks and companies and entrepreneurial opportunity that uh, this country has. I believe entrepreneurial fire has uh, truly been ignited. I think we will see some very good minds, very bright minds with good business models, new business models, new innovation. Some may fail, uh, some may not succeed as much as we may like them to, but enough well. And I think that uh, represents uh, true defining capability of this economy. India has always been very entrepreneurial, unlike most parts of the world where you do not see it. I mean, Europe, very little. America, barring technology, not much. Asia, if you see in uh, Japan, Korea, not really. China, we all know what challenges 
entrepreneurial talent is undergoing the India truly special in that respect. Uh, that entrepreneurial capability is very remarkable. And that coupled with enabling environment will foster very powerful forces. That is what I believe in. Bharat, thank you so much for all the time that you spent. Thank you. Pleasure. Always. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening. <laughs>